Hi, I'm Tyra G., your host of Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Welcome again to our virtual global gathering of phenomenal listeners. Yes, you, fearsome and generous, humble and honest, in pursuit of new possibilities and purpose. Every week, we meet at this table to experience, inspire, educate, and encourage, and empower each other through our joys and our lessons learned. We share topics that the tradition tells us there's some things we just don't talk about. But here, we live beyond both the judgment and the wreckage. We share some aha moments and stories that have been left in our pockets for way too long. Every week we start right where we are. Although many of your voices will speak light in the darkness, there is no insignificant person around this table. However, you must come dressed in your inner awesome, believing that impossible is merely a word to describe the degree of difficulty. You're listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia. Cablecast on Cox and Verizon Files, Channel 37, and Comcast, Channel 27 in Reston. And we are webcast worldwide on the internet at www.radiofairfax.org every Saturday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Should you miss us, no worries. You can hear our archive show wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Just key in, Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Or visit the Media Room on my website, www.tyragarlington.com. And if you feel like connecting with me offline, you know how easy that is. Email me at tyra at tyragarlington.com. Thank you so much for your comments and thank you for tuning in. One more shout out to Mr. Courtney Nero for composing and performing our Frankly Speaking theme song. And for naming it, I'm listening. This week we return to one of my favorite themes... This is us. One more opportunity to meet another phenomenal member of our community who has agreed to join us dressed in his or her authenticity at the Frankly Speaking table. To set a common thought space for our conversation today, consider the following quote from one of our favorite coaches, Ayana Vansant, in her 2000 book, Until Today. I think you're going to enjoy it. Listen for a new twist about the power you have within. And I quote, Life will accommodate you in any way that you choose. Life is always listening to the silent request of your heart and mind. Life is always surveying the landscape of your heart gathering the bits and pieces of emotions heard there. Life is always monitoring the activity of your tongue, checking for ruins and sacred elements. Life knows your mind, heart, and mouth will produce the request of your consciousness, even when you are most unaware of it. 
Life can be an open book through which you can learn about great mysteries and wonders. Of life can be mysterious and frightening through which you can fear or dread. Or life can be a basket in which you can place your treasures, in which you carry abundant blessings. Or life can be a locked trunk from which you can retrieve or receive anything. Life can be a journey or a struggle, a paradise or a prison, a calm sea or turbulent ocean. It's all up to you. Life will accommodate whatever you choose, exactly the way you choose, and whether or not you believe it. What you have in your life right now is a function of your own request. Some of those requests you have made openly, others you have made silently. It doesn't matter. Life is very accommodating, and the minute you re your requests change, your life will follow. Until today, you may not have realized that life is answering your request. You may not have believed that you have the power and the right to ask life for more than what you already have right now. Just for today, be devoted to creating a life of positive, joyful request. Create them first in your mind. Next, create them in your heart. Then speak them into existence. Be sure to remember what you've created. If it doesn't show up, check your counter request. Repeat after me. Today I am devoted to creating and requesting what I truly desire to experience in life. End quote. I met today's guest while on a working vacation with friends in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. To be more specific, Chatham, Massachusetts. One morning, while my friends and I were enjoying a wonderful breakfast at a quaint restaurant, our attention was drawn to a petite woman standing in the middle of several tables, delivering an empowering and encouraging speech. We continued to eavesdrop. As the crowd dispersed, we found ourselves saying to this woman, excuse us, we just wanted to compliment you on whatever you were doing to whomever your audience was. We were inspired. Long story short, after another few conversations, I invited her that very morning to join me at the Frankly Speaking table. That was last April. It has taken this, this, this much time to make our calendars work, and I'm excited we finally did. Please welcome Ms. Sandy Wyckoff, entrepreneur and owner of several Chatham clothing bars in Chatham, Massachusetts. Sandy not only has a story, she is a story, and she will recall some of the lessons not taught in school that have helped her become the successful entrepreneur, daughter, wife, mother that she is. Okay, Sandy, the mic is yours. Thank you, Tyra, and thank you for having me as your guest. I am truly humbled to share my story because um, really I just kind of grind it out every day. <laughs> yes, you do. You know, I came from Pennsylvania to Cape Cod for the very first time in 1975. 
And I traveled with my aunt, who had such an affinity for the Cape that she was positive she had lived a past life here. Oh, my, yes. She's the one who introduced me to Chatham, Massachusetts. At her suggestion, I applied for a job as a waitress at a legendary restaurant, Harwich Port's Thompson's Clam Bar, and I was hired. (laughs) I'd never waitressed in my life. I spent two college summers there and then two more summers as a cocktail waitress in the opera house of another legendary restaurant, the Christopher Ryder House, located in Chatham, Massachusetts. Yes. So unfortunately, both of those restaurants are gone now, but they certainly propelled me on my way, and it was my first introduction to Cape Cod, to Chatham, to Harwich Port. So the day of my college graduation, I drove to the Cape to live permanently. And I secured a position as a teller at the Chatham branch, Chatham is the key word here, of the Cape Cod Five Cent Savings Bank through then-president, um, a guy named George Marble, who was also a major patron of the Christopher Ryder House and Thompson's Clam Bar. So there were crazy crowds in Chatham mm-hmm. on hot summer days, and I had very short lunch breaks at the bank that made it impossible to take a quick walk let alone grab lunch out. And this daily scenario sparked the idea of opening a retail business on Main Street in Chatham. The year was 1979. And now, after 43 years, oh my word, I own three (laughs) stores on the Main Street, and I still love what I do. My love affair with Chatham has been a one thing led to another relationship. The town the people, the history, the beautiful vistas make it impossible for me to think of being anywhere else. And, you know, I have a sign in the store that reads, if you're lucky enough to live by the water, then you are lucky enough. Mm. I, I am lucky enough to be in Chatham. And Tyra, that's where our paths crossed one yeah. early morning <laughs> on Main Street Chatham, because yeah. I think all roads lead to Chatham. You know what? As I listened to you, I got thinking, there are a couple of things I want you to do. I believe having, oh my gosh, what was it, five trips up there, at least six days staying up there at a time. Uh, And I was enchanted, that's the word, enchanted, because I went the first time before the season, and people need to understand there's a total difference in Chatham before the season and season. And I want you to talk about, paint a picture for them about Chatham when it's not, quote, in season and Chatham when it is. That's the first thing I want you to do. But the second thing, because we did it, I want you to take our listeners on a walk by the water. Oh, my word. Well, Chatham is just quintessential Cape Cod. If you read about New England and you close your eyes and you try to imagine what you think a little seaside town would look like, Chatham is it. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. It's pristine. It's got a really um, nice balance of um, inns, hotels, four-star ho, five-star hotels, businesses, retail, services, It's pretty amazing. Our population year-round, now this is pre-COVID, mind you, Okay, is about 6,500, and it swells to 30,000 in the summer. Now, just let that settle for a minute, because before I had the experience of being there during the season, it was like, 
oh my goodness, where do they come from? It's like, <laughs> can you imagine a city exploding? And, and people, forget driving. When you get to Main Street, this place that, that uh, Sandy is lucky enough to have a, a shop, it's wall-to-wall people. And tell them about ice cream. Tell them about the ice cream. Oh, my God, the ice cream is amazing here, and a lot of it is made locally. Yes. It, you know, it's just, it's everything that you think, again, a New England town should be. It has band concerts that are free to the public um, every Friday night with a, a town band, and they do things for children, things for adults. They do the bunny hop, um, here we go, loop-de-loo, and then they do waltzes. You put your blanket out on the side of the hill. No one touches it. You can put it out mm-hmm. early in the morning for a 7.30 concert, and nobody touches it. It's mm. just, it's really a very, very special place. Um, and the, the views are amazing. Um, Chatham Lighthouse Beach is one of the most beautiful places you will ever see. And, of course, the, the shoals and the waters around Cape Cod are considered the most dangerous in the world because it's constantly shifting and changing. So what you see as the view from Chatham Light in 2020 will not be the same as 2021 or 2022. It's constantly changing. Oh, my goodness. Um, that, now that is an impression right there. Yeah, it's beautiful. And, and do we know what causes that? Is it just the currents of the water? Co- I, you know... It is the currents. Um, it's the, the water coming in and the sandbars shifting and okay. changing and breaks in outer bars. And, you know, truly, if you go from Chatham around the bar, the next stop is across the pond is England, London. <gasps> it's quite something. It's beautiful. It is. Really beautiful it is. Here. And uh, one thing that... Um just a footnote, actually, to the picture that we're painting. My friends and I were taking care of her mother's home, so we didn't have any uh, internet or uh, cable. And so we would create a hot spot and in the evening and light candles and listen to books on tape. But before we did that, we always packed a lunch and went down to the beach, one of the beaches, and just sat and watched the sunset. Oh, they're spectacular. Oh, it is amazing. And when you and I first talked, I think, you were saying, Tyra, do you know that Chatham is the, is, I get this right, the farthest east? You could, you first can, stop of the east wind. Yes, that was it. That's it's it. It's as far east as you can get. Wow. I know. I mean, I hope people are kind of dreaming about this. <laughs> the trees and, and most of the well, a lot of the restaurants have verandas. So you have inside and you have outside. And often if you have outside, you have a view. And whereas in March, maybe March, you may see two or three sailboats. Uh, May, it's like a sailboat carpet. So it's just, it's a totally amazing. And you know what occurs to me? We're talking about the differences. One of your favorite expressions as we've talked is being able to be nimble, that change is necessary. Talk a little bit more about that. Well, I think that when you live in actually anywhere in business, whatever you're doing, you need to be able to change with what's going on around you. You can't be stagnant. You can't be so drilled into 
your ways that you can't change with the times. And of course, not that that has never been so clearly really pushed in our faces as the past two years with COVID because the way you do business is totally different yeah. and you have to be nimble. And if you're not, uh, you know, examples would be when you think about your restaurants mm-hmm. that were closed down and they had to figure out ways to do takeout. Um, and if they couldn't figure it out and they couldn't, you know, expedite it, they were going to have a really rough time. Yeah, And I think that everybody in all of their areas are seeing exactly that. You know, for us, retail was really um, different. We were closed, and then when we opened up, it was, well, you can only let so many people in the store, and you have to wear masks, and we needed the plexiglass, and, you know, how do you handle it, even down to our dressing rooms? Oh, you know, we yes. Had to, Every time somebody went in and tried something on, yeah. we had to we had to sanitize and clean down the dressing room, and then we had to take the clothes and we had to take them out back and steam them down and let them sit for 24 hours, because at the early onset of COVID, nobody really knew how you were getting it. You know what, Sandy? It's interesting because I have imagined and watched probably from afar how businesses had to change their processes, and of course, who shopped? unless it was online, I never thought about dressing rooms. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, and the clothing, you're right, because at least the first, almost the first year, we really didn't know. And then we had to manage the process of vaccinations, et cetera. We'll talk about, all right, since we're in the store now, that's the way it was for pandemic when people could come. What happened to your staff? Because when I think of retail and boutique retail, maintaining a staff seems like a creative art. How did you manage? We ended up working with a really small staff um, because, first of all, nobody was really applying for jobs. Mm -hmm. Nobody wanted to work. People didn't really want to deal with the public. Um, and also because of the pandemic, so many people left the cities and they were coming down to their summer homes or buying homes down here or renting them for extended periods of time because they wanted to get out of the urban settings. Mm. And so there really wasn't anywhere for people to live when they came here to work. So we worked with a really small staff. And just to put that in perspective, it was going from a staff of over 30 Mm -hmm. to a staff of about 15 Mm. to 16. Um, So we ended up cutting our hours. We opened later. We closed earlier. Um, We didn't have as many people on staff. And you have to really be careful about that. You don't want to burn people out. So Mm. there were real staffing challenges. And, of course, you know, all the hoops that we had to jump through to make sure or to hope that no one contracted COVID or did they have an exposure? Did they need to quarantine? Mm-hmm. You know, the lists are, are a little crazy. And of course, every state is different. Yes. So yes, Massachusetts yes, yes. is very different than Florida, which is different than Texas, which is different than California. So, you know, you have to follow all your state guidelines and your federal guidelines and then your town, your local guidelines. Yeah. And I'm, I'm remembering as we wrote in, uh, the house was on Sam Ryder as we rode into town, mask or $300 fine, you know, there was, there's no option. There was no option at all. And, um, but tell me this now, not only did you have to be nimble and consider all the things we talked about, how did you sustain yourself with the 15? How did you keep them inspired? Because that's what you were doing when I met you. You were inspiring your staff. 
I think it's acknowledging what it is that they're doing and what they're up against. Okay. And and explaining, you know, this is what you need to do. I remember having the conversation um, with my husband, and then that was what I was talking about at the meeting that you overheard, was likening to my husband what we go through every day. My husband likes to go fish. And I said, all right, well, listen, if you went out on your boat and you went out for eight hours fishing, Mm -hmm. and during that eight-hour fishing trip, you got a 15-minute break for lunch, and that was it because because there's so many fish, you have to get back to it. And so now you're going to cast, and you're going to cast out there nonstop for the entire eight hours. Mm. No breaks. You're going to keep casting. And oh, by the way, while you're doing that, you're going to have four or five little children running around your feet and people coming in. And you're also going to have another 20 people asking you questions constantly and wanting to understand how to fish and how to do this and how to do that. And I said, if you can do that for eight hours during the course of the day, and oh, incidentally, you have to keep your boat sanitized and sterilized, then you will understand what we are doing inside those stores all day, every day. And what we couldn't see because it would have been too obvious. How did they respond to you? We saw some body language we were looking at, and we were looking at faces because that's what we do as prior IBMers. Um, how did they receive it? What, were the, what was the follow-on to that breakfast experience that you had with your staff? We just had a lot of really good conversation because I think that we had had our heads down dealing with it all day, every day. But to hear somebody say, I understand what we're going through and this is what you're doing and this is pretty extraordinary. Um, And thank you all for stepping up to the plate because this is no easy task. It just created a lot of camaraderie and really understanding of what we were going through and how exhausting it truly was. And I think, too, Sandy, uh, what you're talking about is compassion and empathy. And uh, what I found myself doing was being terribly mm, anxious for the healthcare workers because they were like what you described, your husband fishing, only they had life and death at the end instead of a fish, you know? And they just went and went and went. And when I would listen to them being interviewed, you know, people interviewing, said, you know, please understand how grateful we are. And they said, we appreciate that, but there's only so much of us we have to give. And um, every time I have, and I've had several, you know, like my annual um, visit to the doctor and a couple of other things, and I always try and thank any healthcare worker I see, no matter what they're doing, if they're cleaning or emptying the trash cans, I thank them for their service because this has been uh, a perfect storm. So I'm hearing you say as I listen to you, uh, I keep my staff because I thank my staff. I appreciate my staff, and I help them know that I understand that they're giving and they're doing the best they can do. Uh, You're also in that type of experience that I witnessed opening the window for two-way communication. Um, Talk about the profile of a staff member in your shop, and I'm asking this for a reason. I I think that if you're asking me what do I look for in people that I want to work with, I think that um, I like people who are outgoing, who really enjoy people and enjoy engaging and having conversations, understanding that 
a lot of our customers, if not the majority of them, come from all over the world. Yes, they do. And they're looking to have an experience. Mm -hmm. So they don't want to just have a self-serve business opportunity walking in a store. They want an experience. They want to know about the area. They want to know about the people. Um, So I look for people who have those kinds of qualities. I can teach anybody to use a register, to make sure the dressing rooms are clean. You know, there are a lot of things you can teach and there are some things you just can't. And in terms of the demographic, I have from 15 years of age to, they probably don't want me to tell you how old they are. Um, wow. And everything and everything in between. And what's really special about what we do is that it gives a really nice dynamic of all different ages working together as a team. Ah, yes, yes, yes. And yes. <laughs> an understanding of there are there are large age differences, but to hear the conversations and the joking and what goes on amongst them, you would not feel the age differences. And you know what I'm thinking? Um, I used to teach a course in managing four generations in the workplace at a time for the first time in the United States. And what you just said, uh, a really talented manager can manage the different communication styles, the different learning styles, the different crisis communications. They can keep them energized. But um, I love what you said how you pull a team together that crosses generations and perhaps even uh, cultural cultural traditions as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I really treasure because what we did, the couple of minutes we got away from the house, we would just go into stores, like you said, for the experience. We just wanted to hear the people, see the people, see the other people who were engaging. We went one place, um, it was like a flea market, and uh, one of the friends that was helping us actually had a couple of beehives out back. And guess what? For Christmas, he sent us honey. Does that give you an idea what it was like to be there? <laughs> it was wonderful. Now, tell me this. How do you sustain your staff during things like them becoming parents, them uh, going to school. You know, if they, if they are this age group, that means they're having different life experiences as well. How, well. how do you manage that? I have to say that it's nearly impossible right now. Prior to COVID, it was, it was challenging, mm-hmm. but not impossible. Since COVID, it is impossible. Um, I had several young moms who were working full tilt, one who was managing the store, and their child care simply kept falling apart mm. to the point where they were no longer able to work. And I'm seeing a lot of that. So there are a lot of challenges that young folks have getting into the workforce. It's really, really difficult. So in terms of hanging on to people who don't have that particular challenge, mm-hmm. um, I think it's just a re- providing a really good, solid, safe atmosphere to work in. I think that's really important where people can make a difference and they can affect change and become a part of the town. We're highly integrated into the town mm-hmm. um, with a lot of the programs that we do, the organizations that we support. Um, we work really hard at it. Tell me about the programs that you do. 
Um, well, we do a program for um, the Farm League Baseball League that we have. The farm teams, it's the Cape Cod Baseball League, which is one of the premier leagues in the country. Mm-hmm. And each town sponsors a baseball team, and Chatham has the Chatham Anglers. So we do a program where we put together shirts, hats, garments that all have the Anglers logo, and then we give a large percentage of the proceeds of that to the Anglers. Hmm. You know, so it works well. They don't have to manage the inventory. They don't have to buy the inventory. They don't have to sell the inventory. Um, and we just give them a portion of it at the end. And it works out really well. So that's one. Um, we're really involved with Chatham First Night, which is our New Year's celebration. Yeah, talk um, about that. Describe that oh, no, that's, that's pretty incredible. Yes. Um, one, of, one of my major mentors was one of the founders of that. And prior to First Night Chatham... Basically, after Columbus Day, everything closed up, and by the time you got to Christmas, if you could find a place to stay and put your head down Mm -hmm. or a restaurant to eat at, it was pretty impossible, and a lot of the stores closed up. Very seasonal area. And once First Night started, um, it gave people a reason to be here, and it totally changed the flavor of the town and business and the seasonality. Hmm. which is really exciting that you can think that something that was so locally grown and started could totally change the season. It turned the Christmas and New Year's season into the most profitable for the restaurants and the hotels because they could book it in. They didn't have to wait to see who was going to come and be looking for a room. Hmm. People wanted to come and stay and be here um, for three, four nights. Tell me about it. What's it like? An experience. It's amazing. It's a celebration of the arts. Okay. And so there's a noise parade, and then... Did you say a noise parade? Yeah, it's like make as much noise as you can, bring your pots, pans... Are you kidding me? ...and everything. (laughs) No! And it goes up Main Street. It's very fun. (laughs) Okay. And then all the churches and schools, anywhere that has a space, they have artists performing. Uh Uh-huh. And so you buy a button. Mm-hmm. And you can attend everything. They have ice carvings, lots of outside activities. And then it ends with fireworks over Oyster Pond. It's pretty Oh, Oyster Pond is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Chatham is a really special town, but it's, it's precarious. It's, a, it's like a tight rope balance of, of keeping everything so it's the right recipe. You know, it's interesting when you talked about how difficult it was to find a place to stay then to sign, to find a place to purchase and we were right in that market where when we were selling my friend's mom's house it was one of two that was available on the island mm-hmm. and that was to me it was like what and uh yeah a lot of people wanting to come and we're talking about Chatham. We're talking about, what, 6,500 people normally and then up to 30,000. But what you've talked about are processes and feelings and relationships and collaborations that are important in any town, any place, if it's going to survive and thrive. Uh, you know, I, wanna, I don't want you to not talk about this when we're talking about Nimble. Sandy told me uh, in one conversation, well, I'm redoing my store, redesigning. I don't know if that's a verb, verb you used. And I said, what? And I want you to tell them what you told me about what you, how you built your store and what, why you do it the way you do it. 
Well, I think it has to do with a couple of things. Mm-hmm. I think, first of all, it has to do with making something out of nothing, which is part of a depression mentality that came from my parents. You know, you have to, you don't just buy something and throw it out. You don't just use it for one thing and get rid of it. Things have multi-purposes. So I think that's part of it. And part of it is I'm a theater major. Mm. And so when you are designing and building sets, um, you're always using pieces from old sets and old things and rebuilding them and repainting them and changing them. Um, So that's how I always have treated my stores. I don't like to have built-in fixtures into the walls and screwed into the floor that you can't move around because then your store always kind of looks the same. And sometimes the fixtures are so spectacular that that's all anybody sees. That's true. That's true. I want want my clientele to see the merchandise and the effort and time that has gone into choosing and procuring really beautiful items um, for them to choose from. So my stores can be dismantled and reset up completely differently every day if we wanted to, but the store rarely looks the same year after year. It might have the same feel, Mm -hmm. but the actual setup of it um, where the racks are and how the displays are on the walls and in the windows, they change. And it really changes based on who's in the job of setting it up at any given time. You know, the more you talk about, the more I want to come up and work in your store. (laughs) (laughs) I think you should. (laughs) Because, I mean, I absolutely love this. I, I, uh, I work for myself doing what I think is creative and hopefully helpful to to people that I touch. But it just sounds like going to work for you is more like a play date, you know? Oh, I think that would look great over there. And then they could do this and that. Well, let's try it. Okay. And, you know, that's a play date. That's what kids do. They explore and they change. I love it. Absolutely love it. Now, you, you use the word depression and you talked about your parents and uh, your mom just had a birthday. Right? She did. She's 99. How about that? How about that? (laughs) And where does your mom live? Uh, She lives with my husband and I. Okay. And you have children? I do. Between us, we have five. Okay. And they are adult children? They are. Okay. So what we have is Sandy's in a sandwich. She cares for her mom. She doesn't care for her children, but she cares about her children. And I don't know what kind of, we never talked about what kind of relationship should we have. If you can think of something fun you'd like to share about your 99-year-old mom, who, by the way, is not sitting somewhere disconnected to the world. She is, what did you call her, petite and something else? Uh, I can't remember. She's a spitfire. Spitfire. That was it. Spitfire. That was it. And talk about when she heard Betty White had passed away, she decided to redesign her final celebration some way. Oh, good grief. Yeah, she did. (laughs) I think that um, we were talking about it. Actually, it had to do with Betty White. The first thing that happened was when Betty White passed away, um, the next day she wasn't feeling so good, and she thought, oh, well, this might be the end. If Betty White can't make it, I can't either. Oh, my. And And you smiled and hugged her, right? Yes. And then, well, we laughed, actually, is what we did. 
I just said, you are beyond ridiculous. And then what my sister and I decided to do was contact a lot of people and just do um, a shower of cards for her birthday. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you need at 99? So the cards started rolling in. Mm-hmm. And there were many, many, many cards. And she was surprised by that. But partway through getting the cards is what prompted her to call the funeral home to <laughs> rethink what her funeral service was going to be like. Because I think prior to that, she was thinking that she had no friends, everybody had passed away, nobody knew she was even up here. And then this outpouring of cards made her think, oh, well, maybe. <laughs> She said, oh, my goodness, Sandy, I'm loved. I think I we know. should do this. I know. So, but she she changed it. So there you go. But you know what? What you just said, and we were, you know, it's a light moment, and it's a precious moment, and it's a tender moment. But think about this, Sandy. How often do we reach back, reach out, hug, tolerate, tolerate, you know, uh, people who are in the December of their lives. Uh, I see, well, because we have some programs where we visit my church, people who are unable to be at home by themselves. And what I have learned is just sitting there talking, perhaps holding a hand, the power of a touch. And you and your sister were so creative that you woke up your mom to a whole different possibility. And It's a singular story, but it's also a universal story. We have to, we don't have to. It would be nice if we could appreciate the people around us, no matter how much they drive us crazy. But we'll be there if we're lucky as well. So if we can just show some love, uncharacteristic love, and laugh with our parents. Uh, And this is for young people, too. I um. I mentor some young people that sometimes get very angry with their mom or their dad. And I have to say, excuse me, who made it possible for you to be here and have this much anger right now? Okay, well, let's see. What, 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 what do you think your world would be like without that person? And bring them back to the fact that, yeah, it was a bad moment. It's a bad day. Maybe it's a bad relationship. But guess what? It's the only mom, the only dad you have. Let's see what we can make out of this. Let's make lemonade out of these lemons. I don't know why I'm preaching, Sandy. Just ignore me, okay? I think that it really boils down to is I've had a really special opportunity to know my mom more as a person than as my mom. Ah. So that's that's been really special. And she's gotten to know me as a person. And we each um, are very strong women. And we set our boundaries. And we figure out how we negotiate the path between us. You know, I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm really resonating with what you just said, because my mom had a long illness before she passed away. And that time period as mother daughter, the adjustments we had to make and the vulnerabilities we shared, and the honesty that we shared changed our relationship. And now in my memory, it's, it's really more colorful. How does your mom That's tell you really she lovely. loves you? She says, I love you. <laughs> She'll say you're a wonderful daughter. But usually it's after life hasn't gone quite so well. <laughs> okay, I understand. But I, you know, she's, she's, she's not 
I don't think she's terribly demonstrative. She's very dramatic. Oh, is that where you got your theater thingy? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps. (laughs) I just, you know, just in case you were wondering. I uh, was. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There are two things I, I want us, two stories I want you to tell. One is... For, to encourage women who may be a little timid to follow a dream, and that has to do with when you were with your husband at a conference and you asked permission to sit in on a lecture, and that motivated you to... Oh, this is a really fun story. Yes. Um, I had been struggling with my business. It was in a small space, and I had pretty much done everything I could do with it. And I was very nervous about looking for a larger space. In fact, it didn't even occur to me. It was like, oh, well, maybe I need to sell it. Oh, well, maybe I need to do this. And um, my husband's business is pet food, a family-owned business. And they were having a a retreat of sorts down in West Palm, and they brought in uh, a high-level speaker to talk to their lead team. Mm -hmm. And they were allowed to bring wives, significant others, whatever. And when we got down there and I read the CV on the speaker, I decided I didn't want to go with the other wives and have manicures and massages. I wanted to go hear the speaker. And the speaker was a gentleman named Dan O'Connor, who is the founder of a group called Retail Net Group. I think Mm -hmm. he's sold it now. Um, But it's an advisory insert firm to large-scale retailers. So this was like way, way beyond what my business was, like way beyond. Like I wasn't even on the radar with these businesses that he would follow um, and analyze. So I'm listening to this. I got permission to go in and hear the speaker, and I listened to it. And I was just absolutely energized by the entire thing. It just blew my mind. And then we had cocktails with him afterwards, and I was asking a lot of questions. And he was actually suggesting at the time to my husband and his company, um, his family's company, that perhaps they should buy another larger uh, pet food concern. And it seemed like really a little out of reach, but I got it. I totally understood what he was saying. And he was also explaining, don't be, don't be the least expensive or the least specialized, uh, be the most specialized. And where you don't want to be is in the middle. Mm-hmm. So I came back to Chatham. It's a long story. Sorry. I came back to Chatham And I was walking by uh, what's called the Epicure Building, which is a three-story building right across from the town offices in the center of town. And the executive director of our chamber was walking into the same meeting at the town offices that I was. And as I passed by, it looked like this building, the Epicure Building, was being emptied out. And I looked at her and I said, geez, do you know what's going on there? No, no, don't know, don't know. So we went to our meeting and a few hours later came back out and lo and behold, the building was completely empty. Hmm. And I said, oh, well, you know what? If you see, and I named the owner of the building, and I say, if, you, if you're going to see them tomorrow, you let them know that if they're interested in selling, I'm interested in buying. Hmm. So here's, here's the thing. Prior to going to hear Dan O'Connor speak, I would have walked by that building and said, hmm. I wonder what's going to go in there. Mm -hmm. But after hearing Dan O'Connor, it was, oh, that's what I need to do. And I ended up buying the building. I got a a call from the owner of the building within 48 hours and put the sale together, and that was that. 
And that... Scared out of my mind, mind <laughs> you, but that was that. And so that enlarged my business. Um, oh, my God, it's like four times the size of where I was. Mm-hmm. You took a risk. Uh Yeah, lots of room to expand. And I think the other thing that we talked about, um, because you had asked me, how do you decide how far to stick your neck out? Yes. And for me, it was always the value of my home. If I couldn't get out of whatever I was in by selling my house, it was Ah. too much for me to do. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so it's like learning to live within your means and identifying what your means are. Where Where is that money going to come from? That is excellent advice because now we have so many platforms that make us think things are easy until we're in them. And when and oh, the other thing I wanted wanted you to share. Now that you have this business, Sandy shared with me. She's I said, well, Sandy, how are you making it through pandemic? She said, I have a plan. And can you share that, what you do uh, to prepare for the off-season or the down-season or the whatever season? Well, a, a seasonal business, it really isn't any different than a year-round small business. You always have to plan for the future. And this probably goes back to what I talk about, that depression mindset of, you know, planning for the worst. Yes, But in a seasonal business, you know, you're very flush in the summertime and in the off-season, which would be uh, September through, say, early May, Mm -hmm. you're not. And so you have to squirrel away enough funds to carry you through the winter. So it's really easy to succumb to the idea of, oh, my God, look at all this money I have. I need to spend it. Oh, I can go here. I could take a vacation. I could buy a car. I could, you know, whatever. And I don't do that. I figure out what it's going to cost me to keep my business open for first quarter Mm -hmm. and half of second quarter. And that's how much money I have to have put aside. And I am personally very concerned about what's going to happen in the aftermath of COVID with inflation, the supply chain being broken, and everything else that you can think of that I not only have 2022 socked away, but I have first quarter of 2023 socked away because I want to be able to survive. Now, that meant that there were lots of other things that I had to choose not to do. There were other areas of expansion or distributions or whatever that I was not able to do. But um, that's the important thing is to be here and take care of the people who are working with me because my staff is full-time year-round. And I proudly say that we did not lay anybody off at any time, even when we were closed. And that's a big kudos coming out to you. I know so many people, young people particularly, that were laid off and mm, had no absolutely. option. Let me, let me ask you, um, I, I don't want to overlook in terms of time how you went from a shy little girl to being on the board of the college from which you graduated, from being a theater major and a teacher, and the brown bag story with the rubber band. Well, I taught school for a very short period of time. <laughs> yes. I taught, I, I taught theater, and I had my business at the, at the same time. Okay. You know, so it's not, it wasn't one or the other. Okay. You know, I still had to put a roof over my head and food on the table. And I was a single pe- parent for the majority of my daughter's growing up time. So um, working was important in balancing all of it. Um, 
but one of the exercises that I would do with the kids in class was I wanted them to be able to speak extemporaneously and easily in front of a group of people. And so I would come in with a paper bag and I would have, I don't know, 30 different things in it, silly little things. It could be something from a top to a Band-Aid to a rubber band, whatever it was. And each student had to pull something out of the bag and then they had to talk for 60 seconds on it, which you would think is not very long. Right. But the first time out of the shoot, you know, a child pulls out a rubber band. Well, it's brown. <laughs> it stretches. Um, and they stand there and they're like, oh, my God, what do I do with this? And so the whole exercise was to teach them how to take what it was they were supposed to be talking about and turn it into something maybe that they did want to talk about. So they might take that rubber band and say, well, look, I found this rubber band. I reached in and, wow, I'm so lucky that I pulled this rubber band out. And, oh, my God, you know, I wonder if it came off the newspaper I read this morning. I really don't know. But I really like shooting them across the room. And speaking of that, one time I was little <laughs> and blah, 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 right? Yes. So, so it's teaching young people to be creative and not get strapped in by that rubber band that you can only talk about the properties of that rubber band. Because that's not what there always is. There's no. always more. And I love, 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 love that story. And um, I may uh, get back to another one, but I want to make sure I get your assignment included. <laughs> but also, um, if people want to talk to you, say there's someone listening, a young person that has a dream, uh, can they get to see your store, talk to you some kind of way? How could they reach out to you? You know what? They can just shoot me an email. Okay. Uh, my email is Sandy, with a Y, at Chatham, C-H-A-T-H-A-M, clothingbar.com. There you go. Sandy at chathamclothingbar.com. And it should be plural because she has clothing bars no, it's just it's just singular. <laughs> in my email, it's just singular. Oh, excuse me, in her email. Uh -huh. But I want you to hopefully internalize some of the things Sandy has said. It's her story. As I said, she has a story, but she also is a story. And the themes in her story, compassion, balance, the ability to dream, have empathy for other people, taking risk, being able to use your imagination, and planning for the future. What I do like is be the most specialized, don't be in the middle. Now, you could work those words into your life and I think come up with a wonderful uh, cosmic theme or title for how you're going to live the rest of your life. Um, let me do this, Sandy. Let me ask you to read the letter you wrote to your younger self, and then we may have time to come back for some more. Okay. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preface it by saying that my father's nickname for me was Bird. Okay, Bird. Thank you. My dearest Bird, you were born so sweet and sensitive. You learned the early lessons of perfect behavior children should be seen and not heard, and everything you do is a reflection on your parents. These were the lessons passed on to you by your parents, remnants of the times they lived through. 
These are not your lessons. And I want you to know that those lessons will be shed by you like a coat in summer. You will remember them, find meaning in them, but you will not pay them forward. And you will have a voice, a kind, caring, and assertive voice, a voice for the arts, women in business, excellence in business, community involvement, and local government. You will create your own success from the ground up. It is not everyone's idea of success, but it is your idea of success. And interestingly, money will not be the major motivator of your life. How well you handle money will be important to you, but how much money you have is not what propels you in any direction. I remember you climbing to the top of every tree in your yard, mastering the order of the steps on the strongest branches and lightly pressing on the weaker ones. And the reward was the view from the top and then figuring out the path back down. Do you remember training a scarcely broken horse? You used repetition, patience, and kindness to saddle, bridle, ride, and calm the animal and your steady hand provided comfort to the beast and allowed you to build a trusting relationship with the horse. And what about your love of music? Mastering the piano and singing at the top of your lungs for everyone to hear? Well, all of these passions serve you well through life, even though they may not be the central focus of your time and energy. You will continue to be patient, you will recognize when opportunities are presented and differentiate between the good ones and the not-so-good ones. You will gain the confidence to act not out of impulse, but through careful, thoughtful consideration that looks at all perspectives, just like from the tops of the trees in your yard. Life is going to present some very interesting challenges to your beliefs and expectations. And here is what I want you to know. You will always land on your feet. Maybe not where and when you plan to land, but always in the best spot at the best time. With great love and respect, your grown self, Sandy. I hope people listen to you, Sandy, because there's nothing else left to say. The letter was beautiful. It was instructive. It was personal and yet universal. It had hope in it. I want to thank you so much that we finally were able to do this. Uh, I always like to leave a little bit of soul food on the table uh, for anybody out there that just may be feeling tired, tired of being tired or left out or left over or wondering, is this all there is? Well, let me encourage you just for a moment before I say goodbye. If by chance no one has told you that they love you today, I would like to be honored to be the first. And let me say I love you today. I love you because you are and have been willing to grow. And my, how you have grown. You have grown from struggling to searching, from trying to do something to learning how to. You have grown from fear to having faith, to demonstrating your courage. You've grown in many ways, consistently demonstrating 
your willingness and courage to take the next step, the step toward the profound and divine wisdom buried within yourself, the step toward knowing more about yourself. This is exactly why I love you. You are profoundly divine. There's so much of you waiting to unfold. You've been listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia. Cablecast on Cox and Verizon Files, Channel 7 and Comcast, Channel 27 in Reston. And again, webcast worldwide on the internet at www.radiofairfax. Remember, your seat at this table is guaranteed. I look forward to next time. And until then, remember you are worthy. You are stronger than you feel, smarter than you think, more beautiful than you know, and more loved than you can ever imagine. You're chosen. You're important. Treat yourself like someone you love. This is Tyra G. Living intentionally and listening for you.